You're listening to a selection of stories from this week's Morning Ireland. We're going to stay with uh, matters related to uh, coronavirus and uh, to that announcement uh, overnight uh, by the Minister for Social Protection, Regina Doherty, that the government is putting in place special temporary arrangements, social welfare payment arrangements, for people who are laid off as a result of uh, the infection. Our industry correspondent, Ingrid Miley, uh, can tell us more. Um, Ingrid, um, what's been planned? What's been announced? Well, Brian, let's start with the scale of this. I mean, this morning there are between around 140,000 workers waking up with no work who had jobs this time last week. If you take 70,000 in restaurants, 50,000 in pubs and around 20,000 creche or childcare workers and they're just the ones we know about so far. So clearly the Department of Social Protection is going to be swamped with uh, queries and applications for financial support. So what has been introduced is the COVID-19 pandemic unemployment payment. All employees and self-employed who lose employment will be entitled to €203 for six weeks. This, or as applicable, you know, you might be um, part-time or you might get uh, sorted uh, into the regular scheme uh, sooner. But what is different about this is that the government wants employers where they can to continue to pay workers uh, that level of benefit, that €203, so that nobody will fall into, (coughs) excuse me, financial hardship Mm -hmm. in the short term uh, because of uh, this uh, unprecedented situation. The employers will be able to reclaim that money from the department in due course uh, but and uh, banks are being asked to assist with um, flexibility and uh, short-term loans. But the idea is that they want to be able to make sure that people are not left absolutely high and dry in the short term. We were hearing earlier from Adrian Cummins of the Restaurants Association that for many of his members that would be very difficult to do just because of cash flow issues once they're closed obviously money's not coming in and I suppose uh, some forbearance from the banks might help but for businesses that just that aren't able to make that payment themselves on the basis they claim it back later what what would the employees do then? Now, if you are in this position, there are there's a new form and information pack that's on the Department of Social Protection uh, website. You have to download the form, print it and post it back. The details will be on the form. And uh, then after you have uh, been entitled to this immediate emergency payment, you then apply for job seekers benefit within six, six weeks in order to transition to the normal scheme. And there will be a phone, uh, a phone number, one eight ninety eight zero 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 two four where you can phone for information but the key thing about this brian is don't go to the intro offices you they are going to be swamped with the numbers that are there and there's also that even more pressing concern that they won't be capable of engaging in social distancing because of if there are large crowds so please please go to the uh, website download the forms post them in mm. and where employers can keep payments going on uh, the equivalent of the social social welfare payment going, they will be refunded under the uh, under the, the, the new refund scheme. OK, would you just give us that number again? That, uh, was it an 1890 number? It's, we'll have the details on the Morning Ireland website. one 800 And I'm told that they are still training up some additional staff, so it may be uh, lunchtime or so before this is fully operational. So please bear with uh, the staff who are on those phone lines. They are going to be uh, dealing with an awful volume of business yeah, and right. uh, they will be doing their best. And that's a good piece of advice to bear in mind in any of our oh, dealings Brian, with uh, Brian, people. Brian, could I Ingrid, just mention just one Just very briefly, thing? we're well over. Yeah, 
the public services card uh, you will be able to get it without necessarily having a public services card but the public services card will be uh, will help to streamline things okay. that's great thanks so much indeed for that uh, Ingrid Miley who as you might have gathered there is on a remote link we're trying to keep as many of our colleagues uh, away from the studio and keeping that distance uh, where possible thanks for that Ingrid <laughs> Well, the epidemic means that well over 100,000 people have, for the time being at least, lost their jobs. From pub workers to childcare staff to hairdressers and shop workers, huge numbers have already been stripped of their regular livelihoods. Many business owners are also facing an uncertain future. Yesterday, the Irish franchise of the footwear company Skechers announced that it was closing its stores across the island for the next four weeks. Skechers has 20 stores and employs 190 staff in the Republic and 60 in the North. Paul Gallagher, managing director of Skechers Retail Stores Ireland, said the welfare of staff and customers was paramount. We felt we have to put our staff and indeed our customers and the health and safety of both as our first and foremost concern. And uh, we decided reluctantly and with great sadness that we would close the stores. How long do you intend on closing the stores for? The initial idea is for four weeks, but I've just got some information from a Chinese garden centre, which is a huge centre in China. And they've told us that after six weeks of lockdown, they've got back to trading somewhat okay but eight weeks on from lockdown their schools are still closed so that's going to carry on so i don't see why it's going to be any different here and how did your staff react to the news obviously disappointed and angry and and and, and worried but for the most part very sensible and very sympathetic it's the first time i've ever had a mass layoff in, in 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 30 years in retail what does this mean for business for you? It means for business for now. The cash flow has stopped, so we've got to maintain our house. And I mean, um, we'll have to negotiate with landlords and we'll have to uh, do so on and so forth. And luckily enough, we had a strong year last year. So it's not a this week or next week scenario for us. So we're, we're OK for, for the time being and we're fine. We will return and we will open our stores. Might even be eight weeks and possibly could be ten. And that was Paul Gallagher of Skechers. He was speaking to our reporter, Ailish Sheehy. David Fitzsimons is Chief Executive of Retail Excellence, which represents Irish retailers, and he joins us. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, a happy St. Patrick's Day to you. But I know it's it's a very, very difficult day for many people. Obviously, supermarkets have never been so busy, albeit in very difficult circumstances. But um, what's the picture for other retailers now? Well, it's it's dire. Um, the the one hundred and forty thousand um, people losing their jobs yesterday will we'll add another two hundred thousand to it this week as as non essential retail shuts down. So um, we need we need um, a common sense um, response to the crisis. I'm I'm profiling the EU response. I'm speaking to European CEOs of large retail chains and. Um, it's becoming obvious that there's three things we need to now do. And when I say now, I mean today. Um, number one, we need a common sense plan. So um, we need to decree all non-essential stores and commerce generally to shut today. Can I ask you about that, actually? Why do you say that that is necessary? Because at the moment, some seem to have made the decision to close. We heard there from Paul Gallagher. Others haven't. Uh, because people's health and safety is at risk. So if you profile how people are buying uh, medicines in pharmacies and food in grocery stores in Europe today, uh, there's, there's really clear distancing protocols, payments protocols, and, and to have people wandering around a department store browsing handbags 
it's nonsensical. So look, let me be clear. One, we need a decree to suspend all non-essential commerce today. Don't talk about VAT reductions. Don't talk stop essential commerce. At the same time, we need to launch health and safety protocols and, and money budget for essential retail, pharmacy and food. Give them five to 10,000 euros per week for them to stay open, for them to put in protective measures, perspex glass, distancing protocols. They might indeed need the guards and the army to ensure that everybody is responsible in terms of interacting with them when they get their food in pharmacy. That's phase one. Phase two is the pause phase. Business needs to today cease all rates, rent payments. When they come back, when we opened our doors, there can be no legacy bills. People in this pause phase also, no mortgage payments, no rent, adequate social welfare support. That's to support business and people today. And three, and finally, we need now to divide government into two and, and commence a steps to recovery phase. So one group needs to be the COVID emergency response unit. Okay, medical first responders. I'm not a medical expert. They need to do their job. Uh, God love them. And number two, uh, we need an economic recovery team. We need to start planning a budget of all budgets for six to eight weeks' time. No VAT for a year, no rates for a year, no rates for a year, helicopter money. We need a business boost grant for absolutely every business out, out around the country, at least 50, 60, 70,000 euros per store, just to, to boost the economy and get it going again. People will hear your concern, but that would cost a huge amount of money, wouldn't it? Yeah, and, and the difficulty is that uh, this is a global epidemic and problem and we don't have an IMF for anyone to go to to get money. So we're going to go through a process of quantitative easing. We're going to print trillions of euros in, euros in Europe soon. Um, look, we need to shut down the non-essential economy today. It is absolutely ridiculous. When I talk to my Italian colleagues, my Portuguese colleagues, they're going, David, you are in crisis. Your government hasn't stopped non-essential commerce. You are not mandating by law distancing measures. Uh, I'm sorry, but I consulted with government last week, uh, met Minister Heather Humphreys, um, warned the government that we need to stop, we need to close. At the weekend, we had crisis meetings. We responded to government. We, we pleaded for a decree to stop non-essential okay. commerce. It hasn't come. So business owners like Paul Gallagher and Skechers and others, they just had to do it without their government support. So we need their governments back. We need their support to lead us through a, a, a period of, of great um, concern. So um, let's stop commerce. Let, let's support our retailers out there in pharmacy and grocery today who have to continue to serve customers in a safe way. And let's start planning a really, really, really huge response to, to jolt our economy back into oh, action in six to eight weeks' time. Right. This is desperate. I had a heart attack last year. I have a heart disease. After this call, I will be entering self-isolation. I cannot risk my life anymore. Um, I will not see my children and my wife for... A couple of months. I'm not trying to scare people or panic people, but we're in a bit of a crisis at the moment. All right. Well, listen, David, thank you very, very much indeed for talking to us this morning and, and the very, very best of luck to you as well. I hope you're OK. David Fitzsimons there, who's the chief executive of Retail Excellence. <laughs>
Well, as Ireland continues to battle coronavirus, the ever-increasing restrictions being put in place are having a severe economic impact. Retail groups suggest more than 150,000 jobs have been lost here already, but a growing number of companies are trying to find new ways of doing business in what is now a vastly different and rapidly evolving marketplace. Our reporter Angus Cox has been speaking to some of them. The afternoon violin class at New Park Academy of Music in Dublin has just begun, but it's certainly not business as usual today. Hi Olivia. Hi, can you hear me okay? Okay, brilliant. Should we have a little lesson? Violin okay, teacher Killian O'Brackon, who is at home, is doing a one-to-one session with his student, Olivia Moran, who is in her home. The lesson has been conducted via the internet, using a combination of video, audio and file sharing. I mean, there are some GDPR regulations that you have to follow, and that's really important to do that. The parent of the child has to be in the room on the other side. Obviously, it's not the ideal situation, because it's much better to be in the same room. The sound is obviously different from a live musical instrument to something that's coming through a computer. But these are all things that you just kind of get on with. We have been online a week now, and we started straight away on the Friday. We had to go into action quickly. Grace Tallon is the Academy's director. The students are enjoying it. It is a different lesson, of course. It's not the ideal environment to learn music. Um, There's delays, there's issues with sound, but in the current environment, it's it's really spectacular. We have a small dumbbell, and we can use the kettlebell. It's a similar story for CrossFit Solace in Greystones, County Wicklow. Amid the growing coronavirus threat, the gym took the difficult decision to close its doors earlier this week. But the classes are continuing online. Lita Borgstein is one of the gym's instructors. We had the members come in and collect um, equipment. So you can see our gym is pretty bare at the moment. So um, we had a great response to that. So people took home dumbbells, kettlebells, things like that. We've since changed our schedule to basically fully online. So we have three to four classes a day running. Um, We have a private members group. Um, We've actually started streaming to the public now as well on our Instagram and Facebook platform. We've got all of our different coaches taking a class and people are following along. CrossFit Solace owner and head coach Ian Madden says although the online classes are going down well with members, there is still a lot of uncertainty. The biggest problem for us going forward is going to be in our rent and this idea of come next month now we have payments due so it'll be down to really when I look at it it'll be how many of our members are still employed maybe, how many of our members are financially suffering themselves and if so are they willing to pay for that service that's now online. As a whole here, we're a group private training centre. We have 8 eight to 15 people in the class. Essentially, our business model isn't built as an online. We have rent, we have rates, we have overheads. That online model with a cheaper price, they don't have the same overheads as I suppose we would. Right, come in now, pick up in 15 minutes, please. One arancini, one crepe club The hospitality sector has already been severely impacted by the drop-off in business due to coronavirus. But while Gaz Smith, the owner of Michael's Restaurant in Mount Merion in Dublin, closed his restaurant last weekend, he has since reopened it as a drive-through takeaway. We could control the measures from our side of things, but we couldn't control the guests. And we just felt it was unsafe to continue to do so. There was a clear market for our food to take away, so we thought if, if we could do that... And so describe to me then, what's the new normal like for your restaurant? Strict no contacts. A person would call in the order, zero interactions, zero cash, um, no touching whatsoever, very strong 
social distancing. We cordoned off the front of the restaurant, um, no one's allowed them. When the food is 10 minutes away, we would text them, they come, they park outside like a drive through and we go and put the food into the boot of the car and wipe the boot handle. We're not in this to put the, the guests at risk or to make um, loads of money. We just need to keep the staff ticking over. We ordered from 12 suppliers last night and they were so, so pleased to get the business. Meanwhile, back at New Park Academy of Music and Olivia Moran's violin lesson is coming to a close and she's ready to give her verdict. It takes more time to connect to each other, but then after that, it's pretty much the same. Olivia Moore and ending that report from Angus Cox uh, from uh, New Park's Music Centre, my old school, if I'm allowed to give them a shout out this Friday morning. Hope they're all well. Well, let's talk more about the health impacts of COVID-19 now. We are joined by Professor Sam McConkey, Infectious Disease Specialist at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. Professor McConkey, thank you for joining us. We heard the Taoiseach last night talking about a, a range of things, but one of the specific things he said that would be happening over the coming weeks would be cocooning for older people and people who are ill. What is cocooning and, and how soon will we see it come into effect? So cocooning is where people who are particularly vulnerable to a condition like COVID-19 get, let's say, extra special help from other people around them to help to protect them from even getting the disease. Um, So it's a little bit akin to self-isolation, except it's not just self that's doing it, it's others around uh, are helping with that. As we actually have been doing in Ireland, many of us are helping others who are in isolation to to get groceries and to maybe get some food and and helping with the practical realities of daily life. So cocooning is, 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 is that where others help the more vulnerable. But in effect, those people will have to remain in their homes at all times, is that it? Well, not necessarily in their homes, but certainly socially distanced from others. So going out into the garden, into the wind and the rain, uh, as we all do, is is probably fine. And perhaps going for a walk, uh, you know, completely more than two metres from others and not touching surfaces is fine. So it's not it's not necessarily in home. It's more the social distancing than the sort of geographic uh, separation in, in a home. And how soon would you envisage this coming into effect? Well, I can't say that. That's uh, up to the government. And I think our next response depends on whether the current measures that have started in the last few days um, really have a significant impact on viral transmission. And I'm hoping, of course, that they will. Uh, If if it's uh, the case after perhaps one, two, three weeks that we're still seeing a, a rise in cases that continues unabated, then... Uh, additional measures uh, would be necessary. For example, uh, smaller gatherings at present were allowed to have up to 500 people outside, 100 people inside. So so those limits, as you know, in other countries are down to 10 in some countries. Um, It may involve um, some restrictions on people coming in from other countries. For example, uh, a 14-day self-quarantine has already been suggested. So so there, there there are additional measures that could uh, be implemented, including the cocooning. That that decision is really up to the national government, Dr. Tony Hula, and the advice, uh, the advisor to the government, to, to look at h- how is our epidemic level. I hope what I'd like to see is it leveling off, 
And I, I hope that if we get very high levels of buy-in from the population, which is what I'm seeing, that a lot of people have realized there's something very unique going on. In that way, cancelling St. Patrick's Day and closing the popes has made this a very visible and very obvious thing that there's something dramatic and unusual and unprecedented happening at this point. So everyone's got that message and people do seem to be uh, going along with the social distancing. That's hopefully in, in China where they did about 98% adherence to those measures. They, they were able to bring the epidemic down within two to three weeks. So, so when you hear the Taoiseach talking about potentially 15,000 cases here by the end of this month, that's simply in another two weeks. Does that say to you our delay measures are working or not? Um, I'd have to look at the uh, rate of change each day. So it's uh, modelling the the number of new cases each day and looking at the the rate of us getting new cases uh, is slowing down. What I'd like to see, it's not so much the absolute total that matters, it's whether the daily new cases are are starting to get uh, less growth. So the rate of growth is slowing. Yes, if, but if they're predicting on average around a 30% increase every day, what does yeah. that say to you? That's, that's what I've, I've been saying this for ages, that that's what's going on around the world, uh, that, that we get between um, 20 and 40% increase uh, a daily. So that's rate. where we want to be? No, no, that's where our, the 30% increase every day is where we're at at present. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes a couple of weeks for the social distancing to have its impact and, and to take that down, hopefully to... To, uh, to, to level off the curve, as they say, or flatten the curve, and to have just less growth. So having the same number of cases tomorrow as today, that would be a, a very a great place to be if we could stop it growing. Uh, and then the next challenge is to then see it decrease. As I said, you are a specialist at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. Is there enough staff for what's coming? As, as the Taoiseach says, the surge is coming and when it comes, never will so many ask so much of so few. And I think within your profession and within your area, uh, people will be asked to work outside their area of expertise. Yeah, so most elective work uh, has stopped. Most of us have stopped our clinics that aren't for a life-threatening emergency. And many folk are, are starting to take up training and extra training and supervision and mentoring in jobs that they may not have been doing in the past. For example, managing people with respiratory failure who need oxygen. And that that reprofiling uh, of staff is is very feasible for for many staff are doing things very similar to that and have done some of that before in the past. And it's not a big stretch to to do that. Uh, Other staff then are being taught about uh, the contact tracing, about doing the phone calls and supervising staff who are uh, talking to folk and telling them they've got COVID-19, for example, and talking to folk who are contacts of those and explaining to them what to do and answering their questions. So there has been a, a great reprofiling of staff going on the last couple of weeks, really, to try and focus our abilities and, and, and our human resources, doctors and nurses and physiotherapists are another staff that, if you're on a ventilator, physiotherapy, to help keep the suction and the, the, the secretions out of the lungs and help with moving the secretions out of the lungs are really important staff. So you're right that, in my view, uh, the, the, the staff, particularly physiotherapy, nurses and, and doctors, are going to be right at the centre of this. And, you know, maybe more important than actual mechanical ventilators are the staff who know how to use them and know yeah. how to look after people with um, 
with respiratory failure. I think we're looking at reprofiling some of the general wards in the hospital, perhaps to, to manage some people um, on ventilators and many of them to manage people with respiratory failure. Similarly, okay. we heard the private sector hospitals, I'm sure, will be uh, more than willing to get involved and, and, and uh, support people in respiratory failure with COVID-19 okay. because their elective work is going to stop. So I, I think really cherishing our staff and getting back retired staff. And we, we qualified our final med staff uh, a few weeks ago. Our last, our medical school fifth years did their finals and hopefully we'll be able to start work soon. Okay, well, thank you very much for talking to us this morning. Professor Sam McConkie, infectious disease specialist at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. Well, more preparations are on the way today to ready ourselves for the coming COVID-19 storm, as the Taoiseach describes it. The Doyle meets to pass legislation to help those losing their jobs and to give the government extra powers to confront the crisis. Testing of suspected cases will continue to be ramped up and in Northern Ireland, schools are to close from tomorrow for an indefinite period. Across the island of Ireland, there are now 434 confirmed cases of coronavirus, 68 in the north, the remainder in the Republic. We can talk now to the First Minister of the Stormont Executive, Arlene Foster, who joins us. A very good morning to you, Mrs Foster, and thanks for taking our call this morning. Good morning, Brian. As we all know, there have been calls from many quarters, and particularly from those involved in education over the last week or more, for schools in the north uh, to close in the face of this pandemic. Now, you had said that schools would close when the time was right. Why is now the right time? Well, as you know, I did say that last Saturday when we had our meeting uh, with the Taoiseach and the Taunashta to talk about the virus right across uh, the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. Um, We have been taking our medical evidence and our medical science uh, from our own chief medical officer here in Northern Ireland and indeed uh, speaking to COBRA, the uh, emergency committee across the United Kingdom. And yesterday afternoon, it was decided uh, that across the United Kingdom, schools would close and they would close on Friday afternoon. Did you feel you had to wait until there was a UK-wide decision, until Boris Johnson uh, had moved before you could make your decision? No, not at all. As I say, we were taking our medical advice from our own chief medical officer in Belfast and he felt that yesterday the time was right to make the move. What about this issue which has arisen in recent times and I think has caused quite some controversy, the question of herd immunity as a way of uh, dealing with all of this. It seems to have guided, at least uh, perhaps up until fairly recently, British uh, policy and the British response in this area. What's your view of that? Well, that certainly was not the, the policy of the Northern Ireland Executive. Uh, I think herd immunity had been talked about by some of the scientists in terms of uh, some of our younger people and those who are fit and well, but it certainly was not uh, the policy of the Northern Ireland Executive. Our policy has always been to try uh, and delay the onset of this invisible enemy that has been visited upon the world, Brian, uh, to try and delay that, but also uh, to try and minimize the number of deaths which would happen. Uh, Those twin aims are still our policy and that's what we shall continue to try and do. Of course, as we well know, a virus doesn't recognise any uh, borders and we have a a long and very porous border here on the island of Ireland. Would you like to see, is there uh, there a a case and opportunity still for closer cooperation between North and South on this? Well, there has been very close cooperation whenever this virus uh, uh, first became uh, uh, evident to us uh, across the world from China. Work has been ongoing between our chief medical officer and the chief medical officer in Dublin. They talk on numerous occasions during the day now 
There is very good cooperation. And as I pointed out last Saturday, the way in which uh, our protocols worked showed up very well with our very first case because that lady came through Dublin Airport and then travelled up to, to Belfast. And we were able to deal with that in the most appropriate way. And I was very pleased to see the cooperation that was taking place. So there's good uh, sharing of information and good briefing. Is that right? Are you being kept informed on uh, oh. in both directions on decisions that are being made? Oh, very much so. And uh, uh, just to echo your words, Brian, I said yesterday when uh, the Deputy First Minister and I were speaking about schools and speaking about the economic package, I said this is, you know, it's not an orange and green issue. And I regret that some people have tried to make it into that. It's certainly uh, a virus that is coming right across the world. Uh, and therefore, we have to deal with it in as joined up a way as we possibly can, taking all of the information that we have from right across the world. What about the economic challenge that this all presents, particularly to trade on the island of Ireland and the potential impact on, on cross-border businesses, particularly in, uh, in the agri-sector? Is that something that is of particular concern to you and is, is it going to call for particular measures? We are facing an unprecedented public health crisis, but it's also an economic crisis, and that has been made very clear over this past number of days. The fact that many tourism and hospitality uh, businesses are, are going to the wall, uh, the fact that th- there are many people losing their jobs. Uh, so we have to try and step in and do all that we can to help. Uh, that was uh, made uh, somewhat easier with the announcement from the Chancellor of the Exchequer in London that he was putting in place a huge package uh, we need them to go further than that. We need further policies put in place so that people can get a basic salary at this time. We are facing an emergency, the like of which we have never seen before, Brian. So therefore, there's a need to take unprecedented measures in trying to protect our economy. That is very important. Our own agricultural minister has, of course, been looking at the supply chain issues to make sure that we have enough food on our shelves. And let me say very clearly, that there are no issues around the supply chain. Uh, we are working north, south and east, west to ensure that that is the case. And I do say to people, if they are listening in Northern Ireland this morning, there is absolutely no need for panic buying. It is actually, when you think about it, rather selfish because there are many elderly people out there that need access to food and to other supplies. And if there is panic buying, that will not happen. What's your assessment of the potential impact of this on the Northern Ireland economy? And we know that that's something which obviously is getting a great deal of focus here with special measures being brought in. And what are the, 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 the powers, the discretion, the authority that you have as a devolved executive uh, to try to bring in measures that could ameliorate this in some way? Well, uh, just like uh, the Doyle, the Westminster Parliament is bringing in an emergency piece of legislation. Um, today it comes to the House of Commons, which will give powers to help us to deal with this crisis. Obviously, those powers uh, wouldn't be needed in ordinary times, and therefore we have to go further. Uh, So that's the emergency powers bill. Uh, But there also is a need for policies and changes to be made at Westminster so that we can then flow out money to our businesses. And as I said, our finance minister, our economy minister, they're all in constant contact to make sure that we can do as much as we can for our much beleaguered um, business people here. Those people who are self-employed, small business people we need to help them all just uh, finally in relation to the possibility of further restrictions and further measures our own health authorities here have been saying that that obviously can't be ruled out at this stage at the moment i think for example our pubs for the most part are still allowed to stay open in, in the north if they want to um, are we are we in a process now where there will inevitably or quite likely have to be further restrictions brought in in northern ireland as well 
unfortunately, I think that probably will come to pass. Uh, things have moved, um, I think, probably faster than some people had thought. We are listening to what our medical evidence and science is telling us, but really it is a very frightening time for people right across the world. Uh, in Northern Ireland, we say to those people, we will do all that we can to help you at this time. We know that you are afraid, uh, but it is important that we stay together as a community uh, and that we help the most vulnerable in our community. And just because people are self-distancing, just because they're self-isolating, doesn't mean that we should not try to help everybody in our community. We should be the good Samaritans at this time and try to make sure that everybody survives this dreadful, dreadful virus and that we all come out on the other side. And, and just finally, sh- should should North and South, should the government here and, and the administration in, in Stormont be moving in lockstep on this, do you think, that uh, decisions are taken, if, if at all possible, in coordination and simultaneously? Well, I think it is good that we understand where each of us are at uh, uh, in dealing with this virus. I hope that that cooperation continues. Uh, I have no doubt that it will continue because the cooperation is very good at present, Brian. Arlene Foster, First Minister of the Stormont Executive. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Sound of a military convoy transporting bodies in trucks out of Bergamo in northern Italy because its crematorium had been overwhelmed. A generation has died. That was the headline used in the Guardian newspaper yesterday to describe the impact of COVID-19 on Italy. Reported deaths there have gone up by 427 to 3,405, which is more than reported in China. Bergamo has a population of 130,000, similar to Cork. Sergio Gandhi is Deputy Mayor of the city and he's on the phone now. Good morning, Sergio. Thank you very much for taking our call. Uh, Good morning. Can you tell me about what is happening to your city? Yeah, it's a bad situation. The virus is very aggressive and you have many dead, especially here in Bergamo, in my city, and in Bergamo County. We don't uh, know the reason why. Maybe a later reaction and the fact uh, that it was impossible to predict a so heavy situation. But the official numbers of yesterday afternoon say 4,645 people infected. But we think that people infected are mar- much more. Many people are dead, unfortunately, hundreds. Are you at home, Sergio? Are, are you and your family okay? Yeah, we are okay. We are, uh, we are uh, fine, but it's hard. We are a foreign family, two adults and two children, and we are in uh, isolation. This is the second week. We stay together, and it's good. Uh, but children need to stay out to go to school, see, see their friends, and they can do it. We can go out only to go to the supermarket two or three times a week, and only, only one person at a, at a time. We know many people, friends and relatives, some in serious conditions, others less serious. Many at home, many people healed. But every day they tell me that someone I know is sick or sometimes dead, and it was very terrible. It is, and it was very terrible. What advice would you give to Ireland? Uh, uh, what? Excuse me. What advice, Sergio, would you give to Ireland? What would you say well, to Ireland uh, that uh, we could do uh, here to prepare yourself? Uh, 
even if I think that uh, you can avoid and prevent this dramatic situation, being cautious, careful. It's very important to stop, to stop the virus staying at home. And it's all I think uh, I have learned in these times. Stay at home and uh, prepare yourself, your hospital and your uh, way of life. I'm so sorry about what is happening to your city. Can, can you imagine a time when this will be over, when the virus is gone? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, we don't know when it will be, but we are sure that the time that virus will be. I think uh, we will stay at home for a month or more, but it doesn't matter. The only important thing is uh, to see our relatives and friends okay. We are hardy people and patient. We wait for a better time. Are you scared, Sergio? Just a bit, but uh, I'm, I had to be calm for my family and for my city. Sergio Ganti, Deputy Mayor of Bergamo, thank you very much for taking our call this morning. It's 23 minutes past eight. In a week of statistics of those infected with COVID-19, of those hospitalised, those tested, there is perhaps one number that stands out this morning. 30,000. It is the latest number for those who've responded to a recruitment drive by the Health Service Executive, asking retired Irish medical professionals or those working abroad to join the fight here against coronavirus. We can talk to Anne-Marie Hoey, who's National Director of Human Resources with the HSE. A very good morning to you, Anne-Marie, and thank you for talking to us this morning. Good morning, Brian. Now, this is a call you put out, I think, just as recently as St. Patrick's Day. It's an extraordinary response. What do you make of it? Yes, yeah, so I suppose over the past number of weeks, we've been working to expand our workforce in a number of ways. And on Tuesday, we started a recruitment campaign and we're actively looking for um, people with a number of critical skills to, to come forward and to apply to us. And as you said, over 30,000 people have so far. So we're looking for staff across a range of categories, including medical, nursing, ambulance personnel, healthcare assistants. Um, and the, the full range of people that we uh, employ and need in our health services every day. Mm-hmm. And we're looking for anyone who can offer their services and skills. And I suppose an important part to say is those that are not already providing health services to another part of a critical health service in this country. They're the people that we specifically and particularly want to come forward and to apply um, to us. And as you say, over 30,000 people have so far. And I'd like to ask you about how you might deploy people who've come forward. But for, for first of all, the response, when you put out this call on Tuesday, had you any expectation that uh, on Thursday you'd be talking about a figure of this sort? I suppose realistically we probably didn't. We, we knew that there was huge interest. We've had huge interest over the past number of weeks and I know myself and my colleagues have had a lot of um, calls and emails from um, people saying how can we help, how can we provide our services and our skills to mm-hmm. you. At the moment, we're expanding our services rapidly in response to the emerging COVID situation. We're preparing for the surge. And there's a lot of work underway um, in terms of the model of care that we need to respond to this surge over the next number of weeks. Um, In the recruitment drive, we're working in parallel in terms of having recruitment pools and staff ready and available for the additional services that we are currently standing up and will be standing up over the next number of weeks. Um, Particularly people who've who've retired, um, will they still be registered? Will they be able to practice or will they have to go through any kind of formal procedure actually to be able to return to wards and to clinics? 
So over the last few weeks, we have proactively been contacting any of our retired staff who retired in the in most recent years. So we have been working with that cohort in the last number of, of weeks. Um, yes, if they're not currently registered, they will need to be registered. Uh, the Medical Council and the Nurse Midwifery um, Board of Ireland have been working really closely with us. So they're ready and they're expediting registration um, and working with us on that. Um, if there are other retired people who have clinical skills and who can um, are, are interested um, in working with us, they can, of course, apply to us to the, the HSE, i.e. Um, forward slash on call. And is it the case that the real benefit of a lot of this could be not so much to, to recruit those who might work directly uh, on the, the pandemic, but to, to fill in the gaps that will occur because of the redeployment of, of staff? So that's right. So we have, over the last number of weeks, again, I suppose our whole health service has been um, redirected um, and prioritised towards um, the the COVID situation. We have been redeploying people for the past couple of weeks. Um, Gaps will emerge in services. Our own staff um, potentially will get sick and we're going to have to backfill that. Um, And as I said, we're going to have uh, new services stood up. Um, Some of those have already been stood up this week. You'll be aware of those and more will be um, stood up over the the next couple of weeks. So we need these pools of staff that we can um, draw on to um, support the services and to staff the services where and when they're needed. All right, we leave it there. It's a tremendous uh, tribute uh, to the professionalism and the dedication and the commitment of uh, all our, our medical uh, professionals uh, at, all, at all parts of the service, uh, that response. Anne-Marie Hoey from the HSE, thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, it's 11 minutes to nine. You've been listening to a selection of stories from this week's Morning Ireland.